are two friends going through big changes in our lives, just like so many other people that we know. No matter how happy we are, life is always throwing us a curveball. And we have found that having a friend to talk it through and discover new tools with has been key to figuring out who we are now as we evolve through these life transitions. So join us as we grow and learn and nourish our souls together. together. Hello, Jill. Hello, <laughs> Miss Malin. You're making me laugh today. Um, I'm so glad I make you laugh. Yeah, oh, goodness, laughing is a good thing. Hello, friends. Hello, friends. Well, I, don't, I think I've done a good job putting away my befores, but I'm still going to take my shoes off. I love it, yes. Let's put our befores away. As, as we head into the fall, I've been, it's boot-wearing weather, so mm-hmm. I've been, I, don't, I mean, I love wearing boots, but I feel like I can't really connect to the earth, so when I got back from my appointment this morning, I took my boots off so I could connect to the earth. I love it. So take off your shoes if you can, or just take some deep breaths and join us in this present moment. <sighs> Welcome. Welcome. If you if you need to do flow, you know, I always like to kind of have the, the putting away befores can be a movement. I'm discovering mm-hmm. that if I get too frozen in my reset and relax, um, that's not helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Melinda, what have you been... My, hands on hips. You're not seeing me, friends, those out there listening. Hands on hips. I'm asking Miss Malin, what have you been curious about this week? Well, Jill, I have been curious since we just finished Thanksgiving mm. about the holidays and about all of the things that the holidays bring up around family and grief and all of the stuff, all of it. So I am very excited to talk to you today about sort of our experiences, experiences of people that we know and kind of what we have done and your plans. You have some plans too, to have things to do as we get through this holiday season. Was this the first Thanksgiving without your dad? It was actually the second. Okay. But last Thanksgiving, we went to my stepmother's place. Oh, that's right. This was the first thanksgiving that we have done just my brother and sister and their families Mm -hmm. without my parents so it was a very different and very significant thanksgiving wow so what was it like so it was really good we so as i told you we have a tradition that we had started after my mom passed away there's a jewish tradition of of lighting a yard site candle which yard site means year to the day I may have talked about that on here before. I'm not sure. You light a, can- a candle. You're supposed to light it. The candles are specifically designed to burn for 24 hours, and you're supposed to light them the evening before, and then they last through the evening, the following evening. What I did, usually you light one for anyone who's passed away, just one candle. And typically we do it at Yom Kippur. We do it at the, the actual yard site of the person. But we like to do it at Thanksgiving as well. So... What I did this year is I actually got a candle for each parent who'd passed away. And between us, there were seven out of eight parents. We only have one who's still alive. Oh, my goodness. I know. It's crazy. So we had candles, and I did a little yard site blessing, and we lit the candles. And then we toasted my father with his favorite tequila. We had some (laughs) sipping tequila. So we had just a little bit of tequila, and everybody took a sip, and then... (laughs) My parents were not alcoholics. I'm just realizing this is coming across because then we had my mother's favorite champagne. So at dinner, we did yeah. that. So yeah, yeah. So it was fun. It was really nice and really important to bring them in. And you know, we had also very traditional things that we had when we were growing up. We had dishes. You know, I made my mother's specific cornbread dressing. That we loved and, um, you know, we have little things that, you know, everyone has little things that they grew up with. Yes. And I think bringing those in is super healing and really acknowledging that you're kind of bringing that in, right? And the memories that you have around your parents with these specific dishes, I think is wonderful. So, you know, I'm sure we've all either scrolled through Facebook or social media accounts, Instagram, whatever it is, this is your thing. And we see so many people around the holidays that pain, pain over the the meal and oh, the, right. the, the you know the 
plans and the schedule and right. got to have grandma's cranberry sauce or whatever the recipe is or the activity or the tree or the thing. Mm-hmm. Did you find any of it stressful trying to incorporate things? Did that oh bring gosh, up? I'm so glad you asked that question. Did that bring up that was, stress for okay, you? I am so glad you asked that question because actually, and I don't, because I don't think we actually have talked about this. So my mother loved the holidays. Really? She loved them. However, she got extremely stressed out because she would do pretty much the whole Thanksgiving meal herself. Mm -hmm. And then she would move into, she would bake brownies for all of the neighbors and all of her friends. So she would do batch after batch after batch of brownies. She did all the shopping, you know, typical kind of stuff from back then. And she would be so stressed out that it almost felt like, what's the point of doing this if it's not yeah. joyous, right? And I remember even as a kid thinking, like, why are you – I know she loves the holidays, but why are you making it so that it's so laborious or so mm-hmm. stressful? So I actively chose because this was the first year that we did it with such a small group. So we each were in charge of a lot more food. And we were going to the ranch, which meant that also I had to have – provide dinner for everybody you know so we had several meals other Mm -hmm. meals too that we needed to provide for so it was a lot and I actively decided I am not going to let myself be stressed out so I quite literally got up in the morning I did my little morning meditation and then I turned on my happy happy joy joy that we've talked about music list and I danced around the kitchen and sang my heart out because the kids were still in bed, sang my heart out and cooked and had the best time. Absolutely the best time. So everything was so fun. I think it makes the food a little more delicious also when you put that joy into it. I love that. And you, you know, the joy is the word that's sort of resonating with me right now mm-hmm. because I, I was sharing with you that um, the the morning of Thanksgiving when we were going to do the family stuff, my family is in Pennsylvania and I'm down here in Austin, Texas, uh-huh. stepped into my in-laws, my husband's family's traditions over the years. And these holidays often evoke a little bit of sadness and mm-hmm. grieving of loss of these rituals and events that I have no one to share them with right. and no one to even talk about them with. Right. And I sometimes can see the the grief and the frustration start to build in the morning as I'm heading off to the holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, and before I know it, I'm irritable and gloomy. And, and this year I was, it was over one little I don't even want to call it a recipe because it's not really a recipe. Okay. So I'm from an it- Italian-American family, and we had – there's there's discrepancy on what it was called because I'm only remembering what it was – what my child ears heard as, you know, as a little one, cuts and bela. And it was just carrots and celery on the table mm-hmm. with a little dish of olive oil with salt and pepper. Okay. Now, my brother remembered it being kasambala, balia, but, I, you know, no one really remembers. But I just remember there were always carrots and celery and black olives on the table because as a kid, we would always sneak around the table and put all the black olives on our fingers. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so I love it. Hopefully my uh, aunts and my great aunts and uncles aren't listening to this. Um, but I just wanted to bring one thing from my Italian yes. heritage to the to our Thanksgiving meal mm-hmm. and I was getting upset because I wanted people to know about it and I wanted us to be able to talk about it and I wanted I wanted acknowledgement that this this was a part of my thing mm-hmm. and eventually I got to a point where I was like I, I don't I don't care like people don't have to talk about it people don't have to like everyone's dealing with their own stuff <laughs> around the holidays mm. and I just kind of climbed into my own joy of having the celery and carrots and the dipping stuff for myself. Mm-hmm. And just that was pleasurable for me. Mm. And it just unleashed this reminder and this idea of why can't the holidays be joyful for me? Mm-hmm. Why do I have to spiral out into this exercise of pleasing others and trying to make things perfect in this frameable event? Mm-hmm. Yes. And so that's become the the 
foundation for as I enter into the holidays now is that I want to find what are the things that bring me joy and what are the joyful things that I want to include in my holidays this year. I think that's amazing. And I do think that is so great to be able to reframe your thinking so that you do have joy because we don't want to be, it's so easy to fall into that sadness. Now, along that vein, I also think it's okay to acknowledge that your father's getting older, your mother's already passed, and you don't spend the holidays with your dad. You're here with your in-laws and they're wonderful and that's that's all great and terrific and you don't get to see your dad and the number of holidays that you have left are getting shorter we don't know how many you know exactly and i think that puts an extra emphasis on the difficulty of not you know of not getting to be with him and celebrate these traditions and the loss of both of my parents has really made me acutely aware of the fact that there are fewer and fewer people in this world who can really relate to some of these traditions and some of these memories. Though I don't think we need to let them weigh us down, I do think you have to honor the fear around that, the sadness of not getting to be with your dad during the holidays. I think it's okay to kind of recognize and honor that emotion and and move into your joy. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And our book club has been working through our recent book was Mindful Body by Ellen Langer, mm-hmm. the mother of mindfulness. And I hadn't read it. And Melinda has been, you know, encouraging me. I really think you need to read this book. I really mm-hmm. think you need this book. And so had our book club group work through this book. And I'm taking some of the lessons of perspective and labels and definitions and stories and reframing Mm. how we perceive things, active mindfulness, Mm -hmm. and I'm just stepping into choosing play and joy and different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that I don't get completely gripped and have moments of choking sadness and grief 100% and I'm giving myself permission to allow those moments to be but now I feel like I have more tools and toys and activities to do to then move and shift onto something else next and I got out some old inherited chinaware and candle holders this and I've redecorated my mantle and my table to stuff that some people might feel looks a little dated and old, but I'm having fun with it. That's why I said when I walked in, what is this? Why? This is, looks dated and old. I'm just kidding. <laughs> like I'm so dated. gullible. I'm what like, is, what? Is Did I miss that part? No, Ooh, it, it does not look no, dated and old. They're um, beautiful. But I mean, so I'm just having fun and I decided I'm going to put little pictures like some people, uh, some cultures might do, the Mexican culture might do with the Day of the Dead, mm-hmm. having... um pictures of family out with candles I'm gonna do that for the holidays now I'm just gonna have little pictures on my tabletop and if that means I'm talking to people throughout the week and gesturing to people but they're gonna be at our meals and our gatherings and fun and I want to see their smiling faces and and I know we've we've talked a lot about sort of the the work that we've explored with Dr. Bruce Lipton Mm -hmm. how energy is just as important in the world that we live in. I'm now incorporating the fun lessons that I learned in the mindful body of the mind-body unity. Mm-hmm. Instead of mind-body being dual, separate entities, if you start taking in this idea of mind-body altogether, mm-hmm. my thoughts and perceptions of how I perceive and choose to vision the world and include that in mind-body experiences with the smells that I have around me. I have lots of aromatherapy and candles going and maybe the smells of cookies or cooking or treats that, that in, in, involves the senses of taste, sense of taste. And I'm just playing. I wasn't imagining play was going to be a part of my stepping into the typical holiday grieving. And I'm playing. I love it. I love it. And, you know, I have to tell you, when I came in today, so I had, as you know, I had just dropped my middle son off at the airport to go back to college. 
And I was, I always feel a little sad. I think mm-hmm. all parents do, mm-hmm. unless they're just horrible and you're just ready to get out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> Mine, I was very sad. Uh, and I walked into your house, and your house really did smell and feel so wonderful. It felt, I smelled the pumpkin, the pumpkin spice candles, and it just had a one, like I felt like as soon as I stepped in here, I felt better and calmer and happier. So I think it was working. Whatever you're doing is working. Well, so thank I, you. I, I enjoyed sharing that with you. And I know last session, you know, we had shared and talked about the saging that you had taught me. And this past week, I, I've never done this in my home. I, my son, husband and son left for an evening. They were out at an event and I said, I didn't want, didn't want to do it. I just wanted to be by myself and try this saging thing. But I saged the entire house. And I, I've been in this home for almost 19 years. And I cannot tell you the power and release of energy that I had saging this house. Mm. And it, I'll be honest, I don't know if it was necessarily technically the saging that did it, but it was, it was me slowing down and being intentional and mindful with my home and with the things in it. I know I've talked with you a lot about how I live in a Listeners, friends, I live in a 1960s house and the floor plan is a little chopped up. And like many families, we gather stuff over the years and our kids grow up and we don't always purge the things, <laughs> you know, from their younger years. I am and so guilty. There are times where I feel like I am going to be swallowed by the stuff that is in our home. And we, I feel like we are actively working on clearing and thinning and purging but and i might say we our family will say we're not bringing any more things into the house how many times do we all say that <laughs> and yet the things come into the house amen and my husband keeps talking about it like the sands of time like i will clear <laughs> this corner in the garage or i will clear this corner of the back room or the office and within you know a month or two the sands of time the sand just like you know invades Amazing. into the the space but I had this intentional time where I was able to verbalize and be present with what it was about the things in my home that were bothering me mm-hmm. and requesting that that energy not come into my being and welcoming new energy. Like I just had this exchange with the house and opened up windows. Like I, I, you know, I Googled all the things. How do you do it? Where do I start? And I have this one shop in Austin that I like to go to. And she said, you need to start in the Northwest corner of your house. Oh, And so she was very, and you need okay. to, but then Google was saying that. you have to start at the front door That's and go I around. That's the front door. But then I realized while I was doing this, Melinda, that <laughs> the way that my 60s chopped up floor plan is, there is a, Energy flow, there is not easy flow of energy. Mm. When people come into my house, they legit get lost. Every time a repair person <laughs> comes in, I have to direct them into the main part of the house and they have to, I have to direct them back out. They don't know how to, and I like directed the energy around the house and I don't know. I just, I had a blast doing it. I didn't feel suffocated by the stuff in my home after I did it. Mm. Because I felt like I had, I like had words with it. (laughs) I had some words with the things in my house. And I told them, I'm not going to take in your energy. Mm -hmm. And don't give me your energy. You know, you stay in your corner. I'm going to stay in my corner. And that's where I'm fascinated with this, with Ellen Langer's work and the mindfulness research and studies that she's done over the years Nothing's changed. It's not like that saging got rid of the clutter in my garage. Uh It did not move a damn thing (laughs) in my house. But I changed my perception about Mm it. Just like I'm changing my perception about the holidays and bringing out the things that bring me joy. I love it. Amazing. And it's encouraging me that maybe I can tackle things so it's it's leading me i want to ask you if you're i don't know how we would 
do this, Melinda. But okay. ever since I read the book, and friends, we like if you get a chance to read Mindful Body mm. by Ellen Langer, it's I don't know, was it her first book? Was it her fifth book? Oh no, it's a yeah, it's one of her it's yeah, early it's, books. No, no, it's much later. She's oh. been doing this for forty years, I think. I know, I didn't yeah, realize. And yeah, and she's this is a I don't know what book this is for her, but it's she's written several books. Yeah, because she was talking about all of her different studies. Her studies are published in psychology books. Like she's got some really famous. Is she still a Harvard studies. professor? She is. Yeah. I mean, y'all got got to read this book. But so one of the studies, or an early, I think an early study that she references mm-hmm. is they she most many of her studies seem to me like they were just unleashed by curiosities of what she saw a hundred percent around the world. And she's 100%. like, let's do a study. Let's you know get a graduate student or whoever I'm someone that I'm working with in the in the school, but. They set up this space. It was a space, and she had male participants, gentlemen, mm-hmm. setting up a space mm-hmm. to look like, in every aspect, like it was in the 80s. These were mm-hmm. older patients or right. candidates or what do you what do you call pe- yeah, people in the uh, study? Uh, participants. Participants. Um, and this is, by the way, this is called the counterclockwise s- <gasps> study. This is the counterclockwise. And she has a book called Counterclockwise. Go. Okay. Sorry. Please so go. counterclockwise, yes. thank you mm-hmm. for arming me with the proper terms. The counterclockwise study, they recreated every aspect. Was it the 70s or the, I think it was the 80s. I think it was the 80s. 1989, I think it was, which was the year I graduated from high school. It's a good year. Good, good vintage <laughs> year. And she had these, these gentlemen live there for, was it a month? I honestly can't remember. I don't how remember. Long. We don't but recall it was, how it was long. Ex- a certain extended, an extended period. period of time. Mm-hmm. But they had to watch like everything in the home was from where the where the participants were living was from 20, 1989. Yeah, 20 it was 20 or 25 years earlier than yeah. the present. Oh, yes, time. it was right. Like yeah. 2000 maybe 6, I don't know. In the 2000s it was they had these older participants living 20 years younger in the environment of mm-hmm. their younger Years to the point she described where they had to step into their younger selves, and you, right. even if you had mobility challenges, you had to carry your own luggage up to your room. Even if you had to take one shirt up at a time, you had to live in the complete environment of your younger self, mm-hmm. and you to speak as though it was the present. Yes, as though the things that happened in the eighties were present time. Yes. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. Continue. And when they yeah. and when the study was over, they their blood pressure numbers were down, mm-hmm. their cholesterol like their memories, their mobility, their everything was better improved. Was improved mm-hmm. just by living mm-hmm. in the story. Mm-hmm. So I want to do that. They were younger. Well, A, I yep. want to kind of go back to the eighties and I kind of feel like right now in twenty twenty three. We are, some of the fashions of the 80s are start, starting to come back. I want to bring back shoulder pads. I don't know why, <laughs> but as I age, I feel like shoulder pads might help the whole hip region. Anyway, but that was really powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They they also had a, a second group come in and they had all the same thing, same things there, but they had the participants speak as though it was the past. And... Uh, and behave as though it was the past, as which was true, and those participants did not have the same results. So, pretty fascinating. And she talked at length throughout this book about my perception was that maybe not the number one, but a leading cause of aging-related health struggles mm-hmm. was just the the perception and the 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 belief. Mm-hmm. That, oh, well, when I get old, my memory goes, or right. I'm not able to lift things, or I'm going to be lonely. It's the belief mm-hmm. that these things are going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. And this is where I think this goes so hand in hand with Bruce Lipton. Oh, 100%. Because you could say, well, this person didn't know, you know, this person was isolated and didn't know X, Y, Z. It was mm-hmm. going to ha- could happen, mm-hmm. and then it happened. Well, if you think about Bruce Lipton's work, there are things that we pass on to each other biologically, even right. Mm-hmm. So we things are passed on, and belief systems are quite literally put into our genes. That's what epigenetics is all about. 
and our genes change and shift. And so literally some of that is in our biology. That's where Joe Dispenza talks about hardwiring and having to switch that hardwiring and switch that what's deeply in our cells, this belief system that as we get old, we have failing vision, failing mobility, et cetera, failing memory. This really went hand in hand so well with some of that other work. Because I do think uh, it shows, as you're saying so well, that it, it really does go, it really makes a difference in, in how we live our lives and how we experience our lives. And remind me, you said you were quoting, I don't know if it was a study or some research, by the time we're, the age, we're age seven, mm-hmm. have we developed the majority of our core memories? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's Bruce Lipton. So we, yes, that's correct. The, the majority of our core memories are solidified in our brains by the age of seven. And, uh, and our brain also has grown 90% uh, of what it will ultimately be by the time That's we're seven. That's it, 90%. Mm-hmm. Wow. Have I ever told you what, what, once my mother, after she had her seizure, and when they were trying to figure out what was wrong with her, they suspected she had t- a brain tumor. Did, have I ever told you what her number one fear was? No. In that process? And she spoke about it often, mm-hmm. a lot, through tears and mm. panic. She was afraid that she was going to have MS, that she didn't want to have MS. Oh, wow. Because her father's brother, our uncle, my uncle Alex, her uncle Alex, was bedridden. Mm. And she grew up as a child with Uncle Alex. I mean, he loved opera. I mean, I, my grandfather emigrated to America from Italy when he was five. So there was a lot of it, opera, you know, classical music and the opera was a big passion of my my grandfather and his family. But once his younger brother got MS, he quickly became bedridden. And mm-hmm. my, the stories that I was told when I was younger was that he, my great grandmother, Jacqueline Gavazzoni, she would, if there was a classical, an opera singer that was traveling to Johnstown, Pennsylvania, where I'm from, she would invite him, the opera singers to the home and, and, you know, cook this enormous meal so that the opera singer could sing for my uncle Alex, who was bedridden and couldn't go to the theater. Everything revolved around helping my uncle Alex have a joyful life. But that was terrifying to my mother. And then her cousin had MS and refused medicine. Now, there really wasn't the same medicine as there is today in the, let's be honest, in the 70s and 80s. Sure, sure. But she watched my her cousin have walking issues and eye problems and all sorts of physical ailments mm-hmm. from MS. And that's all my mother would talk about is, please don't let it be MS. Please don't let it be MS. Please don't let it be MS. And I am continue to be deeply fascinated with how that fear has been instilled in my brother and I. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that's all we heard growing Mm -hmm. up is I hope I don't, that would be the word that for our family, my mom, that was the cancer. Mm -hmm. Well, and then she did ultimately develop it. That's the crazy thing. I mean, I don't, Mm -hmm. there was no official diagnosis of MS. Oh, there was not. But I, the more research that I do, the more I wonder if, what she had was I recently was reading about a very rare type of MS that that behaves more like brain tumor. Wow. Okay. I always thought your mom had had MS along with the brain tumor. Yeah, oh. no. She just had these rare, slow-growing brain tumors mm-hmm. um, that the onset was a seizure. And then they discovered it. But it was – anyway, it, it just – curious by the stories that were embedded in her Mm -hmm. that developed core memories that that developed in her that then were passed down along to me and my brother Mm -hmm. of course there were you know there's trauma and grief in part of my life story but the power of just the stories themselves and the notions of them Mm -hmm. and as I was reading and listening I was listening reading the book on Audible, you know, wondering how I could reframe that. Mm-hmm. Just like I am trying to do with the holidays and other things, how I could completely reframe this. And there's a question here that I have for you, Melinda, because where I'm at right now is I am determined and ready and excited and 
willing and helpful that I can reframe this story and heal myself. Mm-hmm. But okay. I think this story is so deep mm-hmm. in my well. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to exercise it out. I don't, I don't know how to purge it. I'm doing all the things, y'all. Like I'm listening to the woo-woo music and I've got the crystals and I got all the things. But how do I really purge it out of my system? Do you not really feel like you're somewhat on your way, though? I mean, I completely understand what you're saying about it being deeply ingrained. Totally makes sense. But at, from an outsider's perspective of watching... Ooh, okay, you, tell me. Okay. Well, just from watching you, what I have seen from an outsider's perspective is someone who was really struggling with walking really struggling with stairs. I mean, you were getting, it was getting very difficult. And that was before the official diagnosis. And they were trying to figure out what was wrong with you. And you were really having a hard time. To cut to today, you have times that you, you know, you'll be at a real estate conference and you'll write me and say, I walked two miles today and I danced on the dance floor for two and a half hours. And I, you know, I mean, you're up, there's some Pretty phenomenal stuff going on with someone who, weren't you, am I wrong? Were you not told that you were, you know, close to being in a wheelchair? Yes. Okay. I see no sign of that now. Now, (laughs) do you have sometimes a day, and let's talk about that, because you, one of the things we we talked, Jill and I talked on the phone about this, I guess it was yesterday, about Mm -hmm. in this book, Mindful Body, Ellen Langer talks about the fact that there's nothing that is uncurable. But this the reality is we just haven't found the cure yet, right? We haven't fully figured it out yet. And she encourages people to recognize the changes and the fluctuations in their conditions. So if you pay attention to the days when you have great mobility and then the times that you don't, I mean, I, I'm not you, but but from an outsider perspective, I feel like you're having more days where you're able to do a lot more than, quote unquote, you should be. Yes. And I will tell you the days where I, I'll focus on the, the, the dark side, the days where I struggle, mm-hmm. I know stress mm-hmm. and the tiniest bit of like emotional hardship and struggle Mm -hmm. sadness or not not necessarily frustration but like this so this past week for thanksgiving it was when i started to recognize that the grief was that i was feeling really separated from my family and was i ever gonna this was the last you know thanksgiving with Mm -hmm. my son at home and i felt like people weren't listening to me and then you know, my in-laws are aging and things were different and it yes. felt like very last. And by the end of the day, if I, if I started tuning into that sadness, I'll tell you by the end of that day, I could barely walk and I actually got my cane out and I hadn't in a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't that phenomenal? But the day where I danced to almost till midnight yes. in heels at a conference. Yeah. I was around people that knew nothing about my illness. I was dressed up. I looked good. I was dancing to fun music. I was meeting fascinating, interesting people from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And I was having a blast. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. That's incredible, right? It's incredible. What You're such a great example for me of exactly the stuff that we're talking about. I mean, you're really an incredible example of exactly the emotional connection between our emotion, the connection between our emotions and our physical being is, it's, you know, it is one, it's one system. It's a, I liked, I like the unity, mind, body, unity. Yes. Okay. So I want to, I want to ask you what, I don't, I, I don't think you and I can recreate the town. I don't think we can recreate 1989, although yes. it would be a ton of fun doing it. <laughs> it, would be. it would be. What does Melinda, mm-hmm. what might you enjoy stepping into, into a belief that would 
that would really serve you mm. in a next chapter. Yeah. Or yeah. in a now chapter. Like what is a, and let's step into that. Can you think of anything? Well, my, you know, my biggest thing is always, is always physical appearance, which is so, mm. seems so ridiculous. It seems so ridiculous. But I was raised by a mom who had been, it was actually very generational. It had, she, her weight had been a big issue. Her mom really was on her about her weight. Her mom's, her mom's father had been really on her about her appearance and her weight. So it got passed down to us. And mom, my mom was never um, cruel or hurt our feelings, but she, we needed to weigh every day. We needed to watch our weight. The way that we looked was very, very important. Mm -hmm. And it was so, it felt like a piece of what made us worthy. Right. I mean, that's and so it's so tied into my worthiness. And so it seems so odd, but it's such a deep issue for me. And it's very hard for me to have, like, for instance, come off the holidays and have gained a couple of pounds. Right. And it just makes me feel like I, like everybody's looking at me and I'm just huge. And I'm then, of course, the aging thing. Ugh. Also, I mean, it's just it's brutal. It's just all of that. So for me, it would be I'd love to I'd actually love to go back and change that story right change that heal that story at the time that it happened and that, that it really got rooted in and became a core issue for me so that's what I would do do you think <laughs> that you could imagination that out do you I think know, if think you that's... could do you think meditation a visual meditation this is a real legit question I don't know now, after reading the Mindful Body book, I feel like I want to be a scientist now and I want to unleash our, <laughs> our creativity in that way. But like, what if you were for five or 10 minutes, doesn't have to be any particular time, but once a day mm -hmm. to visualize growing up and hearing your mother say different, mm -hmm. using different scripts. Yeah, yeah. I think that's amazing. And it's an amazing thought. So, uh, yeah. Because her research was talking about how, like, the thing that I was really fascinated, you know, she did a lot of studies with people with diabetes and with mm -hmm. blood pressure. She did, yes. Um, but the diabetes thing was interesting. You know, people who couldn't eat, even if they thought about food, uh -huh. they would be satiated. Yes. That was, was so like, fascinating. fascinating. I mean, she was, she was sharing um, remarkable stories about Holocaust survivors and how they, some of the women would sh yes. literally, even though they were starving, would share recipes. One story that there was a woman that came out of the, survived the Holocaust and she knew how to cook because they shared all these traditional recipes. Yeah. They would constantly talk about it. That was fascinating. That, that fascinating. Yes. Um, because they would, they would talk about the food and it helped them not feel as hungry. Because they would talk about these big meals that they would create. You're right. I mean, that's, it's incredible. So, like, I, I mean, there's the aging thing, right, you know, we're, our bodies, I, I don't know if women are ever really taught or told or prepared for what the loss of estrogen does to your body. But, <laughs> whoa, I just feel like. Or that we all have a core belief it does to our body, oh, right? <laughs> well said. Well said. Yeah. Well, thanks for yeah. catching me. That was um, true. But, like, I'm mindful right now that I'm just digesting food completely different than mm -hmm. I always have. Mm -hmm. And maybe I could, I thought maybe I could use some of this eating thing because I love me some snacks. Mm. Yes, you do. Like, <laughs> Your cheese, is it cheese puffs that you really Cheese love? puffs, <laughs> um, uh, cheese doodles, potato chips. Like I grew up, food was how we celebrated, mourned, all the things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, having lost my mother, sometimes I'm, I'm mindful that when I'm grieving, mm -hmm. I go to food and it's just some small way for me to kind of have, I get a, like a hug from my mom mm -hmm. eating junk food. Yes. Well, and you know, I think we, I don't know if we talked about it on here, but my therapist mm -hmm. told me she had done a whole class on comfort food and the importance oh. of comfort food. And how it is actually something that 
helps us. It does emotionally help us to have something that we consider comfort food. So the energy, I think, that comes around that food when we're using it for a short period of time to Mm -hmm. comfort us. Mm -hmm. The problem is when you then go, (laughs) because this is me, when you go, well, I mean, now I just, I'm just going to need to keep, you know, keep eating this every day <laughs> just because it will maintain somehow my, you know, my feelings. Because, well, because we get addicted to things, right? It becomes our, we have those, that dopamine that gets set off. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is that they found that dopamine actually is set off in the anticipation more so than the actual consuming of it. So I was thinking about that. So what if I, when I'm craving a snack, chocolate, it's usually salty snacks. Mm -hmm. When I'm craving that, what if I, it's the opposite of what we think. Oh, I shouldn't think about the food that I can't have. I shouldn't think about the cigarette that I, not that I smoke anymore, but you know, I shouldn't think about the drink or the things or the hamburger. But what if we did? I, you know what, this, I wonder that's such a great point. I wonder if it would be the same as the, our whole idea of feeling your feelings. Because when you, right, when you want to push away your emotions, they just push right back a lot harder and then you yes. get overwhelmed. And so I think you're right. It's probably the same thing with cravings. And I will tell you, as an actor, you know, we're trained in sense memory mm-hmm. and our mind's eye has the ability to recreate so many things if you lay down and, or sit or just find a peaceful space to recreate these things. Mm-hmm. So that just has me curious. And I think something that I would like to explore in my belief restructuring is deep in my well, two things. A, I think this health journey that I'm on have been on for 20 plus years has just unleashed a never ending panic that I'm going to die before Mm. my time, you Mm -hmm. know, like that my life is going to be cut short. Something's going to surprise attack me. You know, like I'm not, I'm not afraid of the car accident. Like I'm afraid that like illness Mm -hmm. taking grip in. So I want to kind of tackle that deep in the well mm-hmm. because I, I I story tell out I'm gonna be great I'm gonna be great but mm-hmm. I don't know if I really step into the belief of that yes and yes. I also don't know if I've ever really let go of and this isn't necessarily belief but a reaction to I, I had a wonderful childhood but when it was taken away from me mm-hmm and that other people were taken away from me of this feeling of like, I'm destined for bad things to happen mm-hmm. to me. And I'm always going to like grief is just when I step away from grief or sadness or loss, I can never get too far away from it. He's going to come back. Mm-hmm. Like it, uh, he's like a character in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I get sad or when sad things happen, I sometimes find myself saying, Oh, see, I, I had a good run. I had a good run of happiness, mm-hmm. but this is really where I'm meant to be. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. And that is, uh, like you said, it's a, you're talking about something that is probably subconscious, a subconscious story going on all the time in the back of your head. But I do think that the more you become aware of that, then the easier it is to do something about it and to change the story. It's when we keep it down in that well and it's in the darkness that we can't bring it up to the light to clear it. So I think the more that you recognize it, you bring it up out, then the more you're going to be able to shift that belief system. Okay. Yes. I'm thinking <laughs> about that, but I'm still thinking about how can I recreate my 1989 village? Um, and I, you know, my husband, did you see, uh, my husband is a filmmaker playwright but also he's a performer and years ago he did uh he played Don Quixote in Man of La Mancha and I had never seen the musical I can't believe I had never seen the musical but and I've never I've not read the book I know like it's based on the book but like you know he's just sort of the characters windmills and totally willing he'd rather step into the world of fantasy mm-hmm. than um accept the reality that he's an aging you know, lonely man. Mm. Uh, and as I get older, I'm like, I, I sometimes joke about that, but the more and more I think about it, I'm like, maybe 
I would be better or maybe it's not that bad to step into a world of fantasy. Maybe that's, maybe that (laughs) is what is ahead for me. And maybe that will allow me to feel more joy and have greater health. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, this I'm healthy and I can walk for miles and well, and I'm just having a moment, you know, like, or yeah, it's not. And the thing is, you're talking about something that about making what is a fantasy a reality, right? Because it will change the way you're seeing the world. So you're really talking about just changing that story that your body is perfectly healed and and you can do what you want it to do. I mean, I, you're talking about, um, you know, exactly what we, you know, what we're, what we've been discussing. I love it. So it's fantasy. You're calling it fantasy. But okay, really you're right. So I already have a little, a little slant on it. Um, yeah, all right. So friends, I want, uh, Melinda and I are going to explore some beliefs and new stories and different mm-hmm. things. Um, can I, can we talk just a quick minute yeah. about, uh, something else that we were doing beforehand, one of the things that we talked about, because uh, uh, along the same lines of reframing the way that we do things, uh, you and I were talking about, because I came and I told Jill, I had just dropped off Dylan, he's feeling a little sad, and Dylan said, oh, Dylan, sorry, Jill said, let's have some, Jill said, let's have some tea, we'll make some tea, and so she pulls out some tea, and then there are two I can't decide between, so she makes me both of them. <laughs> so literally two cups of tea, both of which I finished, by the way. They were delicious. But we were talking about, but Jill didn't just give me tea. What she did is she laid out these really cool glasses that have little steeping cups inside of them, little lids, and then she brought me a little thing of honey, and she laid all of this stuff out, and it felt very much like a ritual, mm-hmm. like an event. And we were discussing how we get so into the habit and in America I think it is so prevalent that we are eating on the go we're eating in our cars we're standing up and eating at the kitchen counter and I was telling her that this morning I had pulled out some leftover ham from Thanksgiving and I just kind of pulled a piece out and I was just eating some cold ham and I stopped myself and thought wait a minute because I had been getting into the habit uh, a few months ago of cooking for myself and and just even that stopping and making myself a meal and then sitting down to eat my meal without my phone without anything enjoying the food i just think in america in particular we've so gotten away from that and i would argue that our issues with surrounding health and um obesity and Depression. all of that yes is, you know, you don't see that. I was just in uh, St. Bart's, which is French, which is a French island. You don't see that there. You don't see a lot of that in a lot of other countries. And I think these places are places that really make eating an event. It's an event. We're not eating in front of a screen. We're together with people and we're talking. And, and even just while I was there, because I was on vacation, the red wine I drank at night didn't keep me up. You know, mm. the the food didn't make me, the pasta I ate didn't make me feel bloated. I mean, I felt great the whole time I was there. And I think it was because I was with my sister and brother-in-law and my partner. And we, everything, it was, every night. It was intentional. Was, yes, it was an event every night. I do, I think it just makes all the difference in the world. And all of this, as I shared with you, is continues to remind me that we got to slow down. We're trying to do too much. We're getting stuck in perfectionism. We're too plugged in Mm -hmm. and distracted Mm -hmm. to be present with ourselves and with the the people that we're spending our lives with. Mm -hmm. We're going to have fun. We're going to have fun this (laughs) holiday season. We're going to, we're going to tell new stories. We're going to be mindful and intentional. That's right. And we're going to slow down. Yeah. And thank you for that. Because really this whole thing with the tea was where really kind of solidified all of that in my brain was look how you're making this an incredible thing, right? Just rather than just handing me a cup of tea that you pre-made, you made it a whole ritual and it was, Aww. it made it so much more special. So thank you. Tea bomb for the soul. That's, right. That's what you said. <laughs> exactly. I love it. I love that. Oh, it was so, it was, I just, it was helpful 
I know Melinda and I sometimes will chat in between our podcasts um, and visit. Um, we I are know, actually friends. Yes, we are actually <laughs> friends in real life. Um, and again, it it's, continues to be a blessing and an important part of the work that we're doing is to have to find somebody and to travel along this journey with somebody else. And sometimes our mates can't be our everythings. I don't know if they necessarily have to be. Um, and if they are great, wonderful, but right. I, um, am very glad that I have a friend to call and talk through some things or explore some stuff. My husband might not always want to do tea service, um, <laughs> and meditations with me. This is not right. his thing. Right. Um, he, and he loves that I have, uh, my soul sister, Malin to do things like this with, cause he's, Thank he's, you. he is seeing the fresh perspective and the energy and the joy that is starting to emerge and the hope yeah. that is emerging in me. I love that. And I feel the same way. Exactly. And by the way, people are, I've had some people call me Malin now, which, oh, <laughs> which only, only ever my cousin, one cousin and you are the only people who've ever called me Malin. And I've had some people now say, Hey, Malin. And I was like, Oh, I wonder if they think that's my name. <laughs> that's why I go by. It's Melinda. And I love it. No, but I love that you call me that, but I thought that was kind of cute. People, I don't get to people, have a like, name. I'm just listening. Jill. Yeah. Well, I love that, but. Your name is beautiful. Well, as you, friends, as you face holiday times, if grief emerges, let it be. It's it's a part of all of us as we get older and we're juggling lots of things and lots of changes. But look to ways that you can reframe the story or find little moments of joy mm-hmm. or little ways or activities or rituals that bring joy. Mm-hmm. Whether it be laughing with a friend or dancing around the kitchen. Making hot chocolate, yeah. having tea. Sit, putting everything away and focusing on making that tea or making yourself a lunch or whatever it is. Yeah, I think it will make a difference. It certainly has for us. All right, well, onward we go, my uh, friends. Onward we go. Onward we go.